Good evening. Good evening. I don't want this to be the answer. But have you ever been asked a question that you just did not know the answer to? All of us can relate to that, I'm sure. How many of you, though, have ever seen somebody, perhaps at the funeral home or at the store or gas station, and you said, I know I know that person, but who is that person? We've all related to that. How many of you have laid in bed at night and thought, who was that? How many of you have woke up in the middle of the night and said, that's who that was? You ever had that? The other night at Paintlick Elementary, they had a choir performance for fifth grade, fourth and fifth graders are in choir, which is Will, and they usually mix their performances with a little play or something by a younger group. And it just so happened, I think it was kindergarten and first grade the other night. And so we're sitting there, and it's, you know, five minutes before it's about to start, and a boy walks up the steps. Now, I've taught now for 18 years, so I figured that means I've had about 1,800 students, give or take, one or two here or there. And it's really hard to remember all of them. But as that boy walked up, I thought, I know him. I knew him. He graduated last year. He used to come down and stand by my door. We'd talk a little bit, chat, how things were going. He told me he was doing vocational and what he was going to do for his career. I was tickled to death. But it didn't really make sense because he's the younger of two brothers why he would be at Paint Lick. He sits down behind me. A minute or so later, he said, Mr. Hopkins, is that you? Yes, it is. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> but yes, it was. I said, what are you doing here? He said, my little girl's performing. <laughs> okay. okay. I, feel like, I feel like in one of those conversations that me and him had, by my door, that little girl would have come up. I mean, I guess the math kind of makes sense. I don't know. I said, oh, okay. He said, I've got two. Well, okay. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I might have known one, but I don't have a hard time being two. I said, yeah. I said, I didn't know that. And he said, well, it's been a while. I'm 31 this year. <laughs> I thought you graduated last week. You're 31 years old. If the question had been, who do men say that I am? I'd have just had to say, I don't know. I do not know. Right now, I don't know. But if he's 31, that means that he was in the first group of students that I had 18 years ago. And I thought he was standing by my door last week. So I don't have a clue who he was. This little girl was real cute, first grader. I mean, looked like a happy family, man. I didn't know any of this. We've all been sort of faced with that, who is this person? Well, in the reading that Ben gave there just a few moments ago, Jesus is talking about his identity there, right? And he asks, who do men say that I am? And this was a question that we can maybe relate to a little bit, but the people that are in the neighborhood, the people that are in the area, the people that were hearing Jesus weren't quite grasping who he was. And the people that Jesus asked this question to respond with a few different names, right? They some say, some say Elijah, or some say one of the prophets. You know, they, they answer with some 
names of who people were speculating. Well, I could relate because I was trying to remember, you know, that boy's name. I, I think I remember. I don't know. I think his last name was Goins, but I don't know. But when people don't know, we kind of start to guess a little bit, right? What well, seems there that some people didn't really know who Jesus was. That's something that happened quite often in the New Testament. People really weren't sure who this was. But Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says in verse 17, or excuse me, in verse 16, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter answers this question knowing who it was. Peter gave the right answer. And I will say this as an aside, there's nothing better than seeing a former student and remembering their name. That's a, you know, that so rarely happens, but it is nice. But Peter tells Jesus the right answer there. He answers and says exactly who it was. And Jesus responds by saying, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says then in verse 18, And upon I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Notice that Jesus emphasizes or places the word my church there in verse 18. And he says that the gates of Hades would not prevail against her. The church is Christ's kingdom. You'll hear some things tonight that kind of go back to what we talked about this morning. I was not intending for them to be exactly the same, but I feel like they might have been. But there's a few things that Jesus does for the church. And we're going to talk about that this evening. First of all, it was planned for. It wasn't just sort of randomly occurred and, oh, well, this will work. We'll be fine with this. But it was planned for. Second, it was built. Third, Jesus dies for it. And then going forward then, we'll consider the church to be his bride and his body. We'll talk a little more about bride tonight. We talk more about body this morning. But let's talk, first of all, about planning and building the church. Why is planning so important? I'm not asking that in a religious sense. I'm just asking you that in a life sense. Why is planning so important? Well, I think all of us need to make plans to have an idea of where we're going, right? Think about what we might plan to do. Mary and I have this conversation every Sunday. What do we have going on this week? And it kind of reminds us of this or that. For instance, I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. But Will has football practice after school. So we've got to plan who's going to be there to pick him up. That's just how it works. Planning allows us to sort of think about things, prepare for things as well. So the importance of planning is to have some kind of idea of what we are approaching. Why was it necessary then for the church to be planned? Well, most of the time, if you don't make a plan for something, it's not going to turn out very good. So the failure to plan to develop a church, to develop this kingdom that would be Christ, if there's no plan for it, what are the expectations of it going forward? Probably not much. If you've got a project at work and you wait till the last minute, you just kind of fling it together, don't really, it's not, 
you didn't plan for it. It's not going to be very good. Well, if the church is something worth dying for for Christ, there has to be a plan for it. Jesus, there's a plan in a building of the church. If we go a little bit further, not only that, in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, we read, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. Verse 17 says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is involved in there as well. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, is here to sort of inaugurate the church. You know the word inaugurate, right? We've heard the word inaugurate. A definition, if you want to go into it in depth, is sort of a beginning or to introduce. Inauguration day for presidents or for governors or whomever it is. That's the day that they start the job. Well, it would appear that the church in the start of the church was inaugurated, as it were, by the Holy Spirit. And it's there, it's planned for, and it was built. But it has to extend further. Because Jesus will die, right? Now, if Jesus had lived forever, and by me live forever, I mean just wandering around on earth, being you could round the corner and see him, then he could have been here for there be I would not need to be talking. Let him do the talking instead. But the church was going to have to continue even after Jesus was gone. That's what the whole book of Acts in many cases is about, right? Is taking the church and growing it into these other areas. Paul goes to all these different spots, four missionary journeys, and on three of those journeys in particular, he's out planting, teaching, developing churches, preaching to these communities. He is growing the church. Jesus planned for and built the church. What if there was no church? What if the church just wasn't an entity in this? Well, we talked this morning, what is the church? We're the church, right? Would I know you without a church? Well, some of you I'm related to, but some of you don't really live that close to me. And I mean, I might see the church allows us to connect with one another. There's a plan in that. There's a building that's in that as well. Jesus planned and built the church. Later we read there, I guess in what being read there, that the keys of the kingdom were given to Peter. Peter's one of these people, he's going to be out preaching and teaching, right? We read later on in Acts that Peter is the first person given credit for preaching uh, a, a gospel sermon, as it were. In Acts chapter 2, he uses those keys to give terms of entrance into the kingdom. Peter says what it will take to get into. In fact, Peter's talking and the people sort of shouted him down and said, we, how do we get into it right now? We want, they wanted to know right then. If you go a little bit later in Acts chapter 2, the church adds about 3,000 people. Two chapters later in Acts chapter 4, another 5,000 were added. Acts chapter 5 says all these together were called the church. We have a tendency sometimes to misuse and not on purpose the word church. I'm going to church. I go to church with you and you and you and you. But we've said this maybe before, but do you think about it often? That the church is meeting right now all over the globe. 
People that you and I are never going to know here on this earth. We get those bulletins. We get those printouts from the India mission work. I've, I've read those and I don't know a single person on there. And odds are I'm probably never going to know while I'm here on earth a single person on there. But I guarantee you they met today and they're part of the same church that I am. We don't need to define it as, well, our church has 25 people or 35 people. Our church has a whole lot of people. Let's don't narrow it down to just, well, she goes, but there's empty spots here. The church all together are these people united. The seed that was left was so that the church would continue to grow. Second, Jesus died for the church. Let me ask you two tough questions. Started about asking questions. We'll ask you another tough one. What would you die for? Let me ask you another question. What would you not die for? Let me see. What would you die for? What would you not die for? If you had to write them on both sides of a sheet of paper, which page is going to fill up quicker? Probably the not die for part, right? What would I not die for? That, 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 that. That person that pulled out in front of me on the way here tonight. All that. No, no, not none of that. What would I die for? Okay, well, my child, my spouse, my parents, my grandparents, siblings. But now it's starting to get a little further around, right? It, it, you know, the, the person that lives three houses up from me, I don't even know what, I'm not sure I know their name. They have a boat, but I don't know their name, all right? So what would you die for? And maybe what would you not die for? Well, Jesus died for the church. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, we read, Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. What's it say there? which he purchased with his own blood. The church was bought for with Jesus' blood. Jesus' death paid for the church. Now, let's go back to what we talked about a minute ago. Who is the church? Well, me and you. Would I die for you all? Yeah, probably. But what about that person on the list of India that I've never heard and I'm never going to know ever? Would I die for them? It's a tough question. I'm going to go ahead and say probably not. Jesus did. And not only that, none of the people that are in here right now or none of the people that are in India or anywhere in between going east or going west existed when Jesus died. But yet died anyway, not for the people that were living right then, but also for the people who would come later. Would you do that? That's 2,000 years ago. Would you die for somebody who's going to live in the year 4,022? You going to do that? I'm not sure I'm going to die for somebody who's going to live four years from now, much less 2,000. But Jesus did. Jesus died for the church. The reason why 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, the old ways couldn't save anybody anymore. That's a hard thing to learn, but it's the truth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers. Those kinds of things that saved people in the past didn't work anymore. The old law was gone. And with it, those sacrifices, that blood and goats, all those, that, that was gone. 
That was God. As precious as the blood of Christ is, so also is the church. Because without the blood, there is no church. Can't have one without the other. We hit on this a little bit this morning. We'll talk a little bit more in depth about it right now. Jesus considers the church to be his bride. You can read that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 where it says, as we mentioned this morning, husbands love your wives. But let's turn to Romans chapter 7. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We're going to read the first four verses. Romans 7 verses 1 through 4. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now, when the law dies, then we were free, as it were, to marry again. And we connect ourselves to Christ there. Because the law doesn't exist. You can't marry a dead person. If that person is dead, you can't marry them. Now, you may thought they've been dead for 20 years and somehow they're still alive. But you can't marry somebody that's dead. Well, the law goes to the cross with Jesus. But the thing was, is when Jesus went to the tomb, and then when Jesus come out of the tomb, the law didn't come with The law was gone. And so it opens the door for us to be connected to Christ. We, the church, is the bride of Christ. It's man's most precious relationship to that of their spouse, husband to wife. I would think so. I would hope so. Probably, if it's not, maybe don't say it. But if probably, I would imagine that that would be our most precious relationship. So how precious would Jesus' bride be? Well, if we consider we're only human, our bride or our husband, our spouse, to be the most precious thing to us, how precious would we be to Christ? He was willing to die for it. Are we willing to die for our spouse? I hope so. It's a hard question maybe though. Might be. Jesus was willing to go to the cross so that we could have an opportunity. Jesus was willing to die for us. And we are now married as the church, as the bride to Jesus. Last, just to hit on something from this one. The church is the body of Christ and Jesus is the head. Do we show concern for our body? I mean, deep down, we do. You know, I, I think all of us could probably say, well, there's things that I eat that I shouldn't. I'd probably be better off if I exercised a little more, if I sat on the couch a little bit less. We could all could say that. But I think all of us have concern for our body, right? If we go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, this problem or that problem, 
It worries us. We fret about that. And that might be the impetus that causes us to make changes, but we fret and worry about that kind of thing. We are concerned about our body. It's precious to us. Well, if we, the church, are the body and Jesus is the head, would there not be concern from the head for the rest of the body? Jesus has concern for us. And all of us, as we talked about this morning, fill that role, right? How many of you would gravely be concerned if you had some kind of heart issue? Every one of us would be, right? But ain't nothing hurts worse than stubbing your toe, right? The littlest toe, you stub it and it hurts worse than anything, right? That may hurt worse than a heart attack. I don't know. But it hurts awful bad right then and there. So when we talk about concern for the body, Jesus as the head has concern for the whole body. We talked this morning about some people are the ears and some people are hands. Some people might be the heart, but somebody's the little toe. And when that little toe, that thing that seems, oh, it may not even matter that much. When it stubs, when there's a problem, it hurts just as bad. We should hurt for it, right? We should hurt for it because of that. And so whenever those pains arrive, whenever those problems exist, they're difficult for us. First Corinthians 12, 12, we read it this morning. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. The church is precious to Christ for a few reasons. We've talked about all of those here this evening. Number one, he planned for it. We plan for things that we genuinely care about. What we want to see do well, we plan for it. Number two, it's precious because he built it. We build things, things that matter to us. How many of you have an old house in your life that's not there or maybe looks pretty rough? How many of you ever driven by your old house? I'm speaking to this mostly for dad because he says about the house that they used to live in uh, whenever he was younger. He says if, they, if, if his dad drove by it right now, he couldn't stand it. How many of you have those kinds of places? Where you're just like, you hate to see something that was built and you put that effort into it and it just goes fritters away. Well, Jesus planned for the church, but he also built the church. And that church is us. And do you think it would bother him to see something that he built not taken care of, Amen. withering away, falling down? Maybe the same kind of thing that somebody would drive by and say, it'd be better if they just tore that place down. That's disappointing. I would hope. If you say that about somebody's house, that's one thing. If you say it about the church, that's even worse, right? That's a testament to the people who aren't keeping it up. The church is precious to God because he shed his blood and died for it. Things that are most precious to him, we're willing to do that for. The church is precious because it's his bride whom he loves, and it's his body who he cares for. So hopefully tonight we've looked at some, I guess, some ideas, some reasons why the church is precious. And hopefully we'll take these with us and kind of consider them as we go forward. Because we are a vital part of that. The church does not exist without you. And without you, the church can't be as good as it possibly can be. And so I, my encouragement, my invitation, whatever word you want it to be used right here, is however it takes However it takes for us to be showing that love and care for, to be considering all of this precious, then we'd invite you to do it. Whatever it takes, whatever we need to do for you, we'd invite you to come while we stand and sing. Thy God.